0: Hi, uh, thanks for tuning in to the Asia Gaming Brief podcast series. My guest today is Anna-Marie Ruding, Director and Principal of Principled Workplace Consulting. And we're here to discuss some of the murkier issues as it relates to mandatory vaccinations in the workplace, uh, which we really only got a chance to to scratch the surface in our article yesterday. Anna-Marie, thanks for joining us and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So Anna Marie, you're in a really great place to comment on everything that's going on. Um, you're an employment lawyer, you're also a business ethics consultant, and you have a strong background in gaming given your general counsel roles at Tabcorp.
1: That's right. Yeah this is a uh, this is an interesting area for me given my uh, areas of expertise.
0: Yeah. Um, so. Maybe we're getting to the thicker things. Um, Earlier this month, we heard that MGM Resorts was the first casino operator, uh, possibly in the world, to require all of their uh, 6,000 or so employees to vaccinate. In Asia, in the article yesterday, we all concluded, I think, that it's going to be a little bit more difficult for companies to do the same, um, unless, of course, an argument can be made that the nature of work requires vaccinations to be justifiable and essential. Um, So what's your take on this? Can it be argued that a frontline casino worker falls into this group?
1: Look, I think uh, you're absolutely right. It's not a clear-cut position. And I think um, every industry and every employer is going to have to go through the paces of figuring out um, what is reasonable and lawful in their environment. Um, There are specific industries that um, have got public health orders issued on a state-by-state basis Um, But those are really limited to those extreme risk situations, people working in quarantine and and border control. And we we covered that Mm. in the article yesterday. I think for for frontline hospitality, including casinos, um, the question is really um, going back to first principles. So... Um, assuming there's no automatic contractual obligation, you haven't already, you know, foreseen the pandemic years ago <laughs> when you did your contracts and put that in place in your EBAs it. Or, or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Um, it, it really is back to first principles, and that is employers have an implied right to issue lawful and reasonable directions to their staff, um, and um, and to discipline staff who don't follow lawful and reasonable directions. Mm. Employers have also got very strict obligations under health and safety legislation to take all reasonably practicable steps to prevent um, harm coming to to mitigate or eliminate risks to health and safety. So the interplay of those two things does suggest to me that if you've got an environment where you've got workers dealing with um, lots and lots of members of the public who could be vulnerable members of the public, who could Mm. carry the virus or who could suffer illness if they contract the virus you are in that position where you can reasonably start to say for this cohort of worker, I'm going to say that it's a condition of working in that job that you be Mm. vaccinated. Um, Now, you know, the article touched upon, you know, a range of different um, issues. There are a number of different legal issues that you do need to take into account. And so I think taking a blanket view that every single worker in this business must be vaccinated, which is that mandatory vaccination idea, Mm. I just think in the Australian legal context that's not going to fly um, yeah. and probably in the social context too, to be honest. But I do think that frontline workers who are exposed, you know, day in, day out because of the nature of their job, mm. um, that does carry some additional risk and risk to the public, you know, from your business operations and also mm. risk to the individual workers. Um, and in those specific cases, I do think it's worthwhile exploring the possibility of, you mm. um, Of a requirement to vaccinate.
0: So, does that mean there are actually currently laws in place that can be uh, used to require front, like at least the frontline workers to to vaccinate? As you mentioned, you know, there's the the health and safety requirements that all companies need to abide by, right?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no legislation that says you must vaccinate your workers. That would be the Mm. ideal scenario because then all of the doubt and risk is taken away from the employer. It's Mm. always going to be a question of degree. So yeah. I think um, you certainly could rely on your obligations to maintain a safe and healthy workplace. That applies not just to people that work for you, but also anyone who could be affected by your operations, which would include the public. That is a yeah. basis on which you could rely uh, on, on a vaccination situation. But I think I think what's really important is that we maybe start to get away from this idea of um, compulsory vaccination or mandatory vaccination and actually focus mm. on the role itself. Mm. Is it reasonable to make... Um, it a condition of doing that job that the person who does that job whoever they are be vaccinated it sort mm-hmm. of takes that issue away from you know I require you Felix to have this vaccination to, to mm-hmm. get a needle in your arm takes it away from that personal uh, exposure to a question of well this role is of such risk that we've determined as a business a condition of doing that job yeah. Just like a condition might be to wear other PPE, for example, in, you know, in other industries, mining or yeah. whatever. Condition of doing that job is that you be safe. And we've decided that that means you need to be vaccinated. There are some alternatives, things like, you know, daily testing, et cetera. But mm. while the testing is largely in the hands of authorities, we don't have a rapid turnaround, you know, readily available. That, that's it's actually say that's fine.
0: It's a really good point you say about mining. You know, there's no... There's no employee of a mining company out there that says, I don't want to wear a hard hat because it's my choice. It's just, you, hey, if you have to work, if you're working here,
1: you're wearing a it's hard hat. Ticket, because- it's your ticket to play. Exactly. And, yeah, and I yeah. think, and, and that's obviously been driven by, you know, extensive campaigns on health and safety and obviously the increase in the regulatory focus on, you know, people mm. dying at work. So, um, you know, there are some really interesting things to emerge in the space, I think, even in, in terms of workers' compensation, you know, I I, yeah. I haven't, you know, looked at this in detail, but I think I saw an article that there's been at least a preliminary finding that somebody who had to travel abroad for work contracted COVID and passed away, I think in the United States. Yeah. But that, that all of those costs were compensable under workers' comp or because yeah. they were traveling mm. for work. So yeah. you know you sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't as an employer <laughs> in the space, if if you if you've identified that a that a role is of sufficiently high risk. And that might include, for example, you know, if the role is in is in um, in Darwin or Perth. Uh, you, you might not quite yet be in that state because there's zero COVID in those states. And so yeah. the risk profile is different. But if you're in Sydney, if there's a reopening in Sydney, um, you know, and, and Delta is not brought under control or even in Melbourne, then in that scenario I think you are in a situation where you do actually have to take all reasonably practicable steps. And it might well be mm. that a reasonably practicable step is making it a condition of a, a, a frontline worker mm, that they be vaccinated. Mm. And if somebody's not prepared to be vaccinated, they might have to find an alternative position in that organisation, or you know, or elsewhere.
0: Yeah. Or, or you mentioned that you know they they might have to go through daily, um, uh, like uh, daily COVID tests to, yeah. to make sure they're negative. You know, because there will, in the end, be some people who can't get vaccinated for a health reason. And exactly. You you can't get rid of them because they they have that health condition too. So they exactly, you know, you know, I,
1: welcome you know. to the minefield of employment law. So you know you've got discrimination yeah. concerns. You've also got to manage very carefully your privacy obligations because health information mm. is sensitive information under the Privacy Act in Australia, yeah. um, and so there are very strict rules around what you can collect and and record. Um, mm. So you know, do you need to employ a you know a COVID vaccination warden who cites people's vaccination certificates but doesn't actually take a copy and you know ticks a box? There's a whole lot of logistical stuff that um can be brought to bear here but i think the question of testing versus vaccination is um is a judgment call around first of Mm. all what availability is there to uh, reliable Mm. cost-effective regular fast turnaround testing you know is that as good as vaccination um but also what are the other alternatives for the way that job can be done you know i think that that was the comment earlier around not having a blanket rule you know if 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 I work for a casino, but I work in their legal or HR department and I can do my job exclusively from home, Mm. there's a very different risk profile. And I Mm. think it's harder in those scenarios to mandate and to effectively say you can't do your job unless you're vaccinated.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, um, I, I was reading about Google and Facebook uh, in, in their headquarters. They had this rule to say, you know, if you're not vaccinated, obviously you're not fired, but you can't come back into the office. And I think that's fair. They, they can work from home. It's a job that can't be done from home. But I wonder, eventually, companies are going to want their employees to come back to the office. They're paying they're paying big leases on their offices, so um, they want their uh, employees to be there and to be filling it. But what happens when you get into a situation where? Uh, employees, some of them are vaccinated, some of them are not vaccinated for whatever reason. Um, so you've got vaccinated people may be thinking, well, I don't want to work next to somebody who's not vaccinated. So how does a company um, provide for both? Because, you know, they, they have sort of a responsibility to provide a safe workplace, but at the same time, they can't force people who cannot get a vac- vaccination to get one for, for their own reasons. So what do they do?
1: Uh, look, this is a, going to be a really challenging issue that I think most Australian employers in every industry are going to be grappling with over the next little while. Um, you know, I, I've seen a headline in the last couple of days that um, this is an issue around some of the border uh, restrictions that are applying between hmm. Queensland and New South Wales, and that actually employee representatives unions might actually be. Um, really lending their support to the idea that you've got a right to only work with people who are vaccinated because that's one of the key ways you can protect yourself at work uh, or be protected from the health and safety risk from this virus. So um, I think we're going to see a lot more. Um, I think my thoughts for now with employers grappling with this issue is that the most important thing you can do is talk to your staff about what their concerns are. And that goes Mm. two ways. It's talk to your people who are resistant to vaccination about what what the reasons are? Is it a medical mm. issue? You know, how can that be supported? Is it misinformation and education? How can that be supported? Mm. Um, and what are the implications for that person not being vaccinated in the context of the job that they do? Because you know that they probably need to be aware that if it's a conditional, you know, role that they just might actually have to overcome that concern,
0: yeah. or
1: um, or find a different, you know, alternative position for the people who uh, are concerned about working with unvaccinated colleagues, I also think those concerns are validly held. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the best an employer can do is ask its people to be open minded um, and calm and respectful Mm. in these conversations, but to really focus in on um, what matters, which is everybody being healthy and safe at work, but also um, psychologically healthy and safe. So yeah. we really want to avoid situations where people who might not be able to be vaccinated for health reasons, for example, mm. are not being made out to be villains or, uh, you know, you know, un- unfit to be in the office. Um, yeah. So it's sort of maintaining that level of stability. But, yeah, I think employers have got some hoops to jump through here in terms of how they bring people in teams working together and really get creative about what the alternatives might be. I do think one of the other issues that employers are going to have to grapple with as part of providing a safe workplace and doing everything reasonably practicable is what can employers do to facilitate, to make it as easy as possible for people who are willing or who are on the borderline to get Mm. their job, whether that's arranging on-site lots of information, translation into all of the, you know, languages that the workforce, uh, you know, has. um, I think that will be critical as well.
0: Yeah, I'm, it, it brings me on to the next uh, question or, or point that I wanted to make, which is I feel like a lot of the issues that that are around vaccine hesitation and, and all these issues related to the workplace, it, it comes down to how socially acceptable this vaccine has been. And, and I think I mentioned this uh, in a previous call, um, one of my relatives you know, couldn't sleep the night before getting her, her vaccine because, you know, she was just she was actually worried that she might not come out of it alive, you know, because of all that media hype around blood clots and heart issues and this and that. So, I mean, how much of these problems are actually caused by this, this media hype around side effects?
1: I've got no doubt that um, that is part of the concern. I mean, I've, you know, worked in organisations and I'm aware of organisations over many years bringing in uh, flu vaccination arrangements, um, whooping cough vaccinations when there's been a, you know, because there are pregnant workers who might be impacted by a small outbreak. of You know, these things happen day in, day out in organisations. This one, I think because of the heightened anxiety state that we're all in, just comes with a hell of a lot of baggage um, Mm. and concern and misinformation. Um, I think for me, um, you know, there's no doubt that this has become a political issue as well as a medical issue. Um, And, you know, it really is, um, I think, you know, a result of a lot of the shift that we've seen over the last sort of five years around the world from civic duty to personal liberty and personal mm. freedom you know um i've got the right i'm entitled to my opinion even if it's you know contrary to decades of medical evidence so i think yeah. i think those issues are, are going to be really um challenging in this space and again i come back to if i'm an employer and i want to get back to business i want to protect my people i want to protect my customers and just you know get back to some sense of normality what can i do i think the key things are communicate with your people um, and make sure that you are providing or at least channeling to your workforce Mm. as much real um, evidence-based information as you can in as many languages as possible. Um, Mm. Because I think, you know, the only way that people are going to have their opinion shifted is if somehow they can believe that they don't need to be afraid. Um, You know, they need to understand what the consequences are of having the jab. They don't need to be afraid because I think fear is doing a lot of damage, um, yeah, and emboldening yep. a lot of people. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, can I just announce that uh, you know AGB is vaccinated, all of our staff here. <laughs> um, so you know.
1: So are all it, of the it's... staff of principal workplace consulting. <laughs> there you
0: go. Um, so yeah, education is key, and and uh, right. you know, it's it's just it's a vaccine. You know, it's it's. Uh, It shouldn't be so scary, but I can understand why there there are people who are scared of it. Um,
1: Nobody (laughs) likes to have a needle, you know, but it's for your good and it's for the good of everybody around you, so it's the right thing to do.
0: Exactly. Well, um, thanks, Anna-Marie, for your thoughts today. It's it's been a pleasure to speak to you as always. Um, Thanks again for joining our podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: And that was an Asia Gaming Brief podcast all about mandatory vaccinations. Your guest today has been Anna-Marie Ruding, business and ethics lawyer of Principled Consulting. You can reach her on LinkedIn, searching for Anna Marie Rooting or her business website at principledworkplace.com.au. To keep up with the latest issues to impact the Asian gaming industry, be sure to follow us on agbrief.com.